You're listening to episode 57. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutabo here, your host. I'm very, very excited today to have uh, my future guest, Mr. Todd Tresseter. Todd, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Sure. Todd is a successful entrepreneur who has built many businesses and actually retired at age 35 from his position as a hedge fund investment manager responsible for over $20 million uh, of a portfolio. Um, Todd raised his net worth from less than zero at age 23 to a self-made millionaire 12 years later by walking the talk using the same personal finance and investment strategies that he now teaches on his website. You can check him out at financialmentor.com. I'm very excited to have Todd's story shared here with us on this show. So Todd, before we dive in, welcome to the show. Maybe just take 30 seconds and tell us who is Todd outside of business. Um, you wouldn't know me from anybody else if you met me on the street. Um, I'm much older now. I'm when when you know that was 35. I'm 55 now as we record this. Yeah. God, I'm just I'm really kind of a normal guy, except I'm really into finance and wealth building and the whole thing. To me, it's like real life monopoly for adults. Um, it's it's an amazing game. It's an amazing puzzle, and it entertains my big brain. So. Uh, what I do outside, I'm mainly into not extreme sports, I guess, but just outdoor recreation. So skiing, backpacking, swimming, running, cycling. Um, I like to do adventure travel. Uh, so like last summer, I uh, took the kids and we hiked the Camino de Santiago, which is you know, basically 500 miles across France and Spain. Um, so, you know, I just, I love adventure and, you know, adventure comes in many forms. It comes in the outdoor adventure we commonly think of, but it comes in the adventure of life, you know, like building my website and running my portfolios. Those are adventures. Mm. And how old are, are, you, are your kids? Or I'm 55 now. Are your children. Did you say you, you went with your children to hike? Yeah. Yeah. How old are they? Uh, one's 13 and one's 16. Ah, oh, so big kids. Oh, that's great. So, so you're building the website. Um, how long have you been in full-time business for yourself? My whole life. Um, I only worked as an employee for six months and I was fired. <laughs> um, I worked, I came out of college. I had been the uh, Associated Students Business Manager at uh, University of California, Davis. So that means I ran the, the student-run businesses on campus. I, w- I oversaw them all. And... Um, I had a pretty good pedigree. I'd been an entrepreneur ever since I was a little kid. Started with paper roots, all that. Worked my way up through. Had a boat refinishing business. Taught sailing. I don't know. I had. I've just always been an entrepreneur. I, I had a pool supply company one summer between college, you know, summers in college, and um, 
Yeah, I just, I'm not much of an employee. I'm basically unemployable. I worked for Hewlett Packard straight out of college. I was hired straight out of college at the corporate office and then moved down to a, a local sales office. And again, it's because I had a pretty strong pedigree coming out of college. And back then, you got to understand, Hewlett Packard was like the company to go to. There was the book called In Search of Excellence. And so you had IBM, Hewlett Packard were featured in it. And to get hired by corporate, I mean, most people were just clamoring to get in for corporate to grab you was unusual. Yeah. Um, but I was fired within six months. Um, and it was, it's an interesting story because I'd made the millions. I was in the contracts division and they had had, um, they were behind by millions of dollars in their contracts, mm. uh, service contracts, that kind of stuff. And I came in and in six months I cleaned up something they hadn't been able to solve in years and I got fired for it. <laughs> Cause, uh, I, I, again, I just, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I know how to get things done. I know how to produce results. Um, I can see how systems work. And so I went in and I made it work. I built an entire system for it. I automated the whole thing, everything, all in six months. Turned around. The guy that they had an interesting two-manager system where uh, one manager was admin. That was the person that was responsible for my future. And she thought I was the worst thing since sliced bread, right? Because basically I made her look really bad. And then the other boss in the medical division who I made look really good. Cause suddenly, you know, he brought in millions of dollars. He hadn't been able to collect Thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, there was just total polar. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, the woman was the one that determines my future. So I was fired yeah. and it's my fault. I mean, I don't blame it on her. I, I just lacked the political savvy, you know, they, they basically did everything they could to keep from firing me. But I just was like a steamroller going through there. Cause I was just a stupid kid. <laughs> Now, Todd, you, that's a funny story, but you went into big, being a, a hedge fund manager, I'm assuming sometime after that. But before we get into that, um, tell me about your business and your core revenues right now, and then we'll, go, we'll get back into your backstory. So the business and the revenues on this on the Financial Mentor website? Yes, please. Yeah. It's, it's growing. It's growing rapidly. So I sold out the coaching business, I don't know, two, three years ago. Mm. And so that maxed out at a couple hundred thousand a year. You know, it's fine. It pays bills. It's, you know, I never wanted to become a thousand dollar an hour coach, which is, you know, how you make money in coaching is you just keep raising your rates and keep raising your rates. Yeah. And I could have done it. The marketing's in place on the site to where I could have done it at $600 an hour. I had a waiting list. Um, but what also happened is it went from being fun and something I really enjoyed to becoming a job, which is something I didn't really want. Um, cause I just let too many people in and I was coaching too many hours in a day. And I just started to like get tired of it. And so I shut the doors down when I had a waiting list. And I just kind of worked off the uh, load of clients. And so now I'm in the process of converting the whole business over to uh, putting Todd in a box through the seven steps to seven figures courses. So I'm taking all the knowledge I developed. What I figured out in coaching mm -hmm. is the process to wealth. I began the whole coaching business off a question in my mind, which was, could I help ordinary people achieve extraordinary financial results? You know, because me retiring at 35, a lot of people would ask me questions. How'd you do it? And they never really even had the questions right. You know, they were always wanting hot stock tips. They Everybody has all these myths and misunderstandings around how wealth is built. And so I just thought, well, you know, let me see if I can actually help people. I love the game. I was still reading finance books, even though I didn't have to. And I'm, I'm just fascinated by the subject. And so I started coaching people. Pretty soon I figured out that it's really a seven-step process that people go through I finally got it down to a system to where it actually worked 
for the clients that came in. Like at first I was producing spotty results, right? Because mm -hmm. I still had a lot to learn. It's one thing to get wealthy yourself. It's another thing to become a great teacher at it. Yeah. Because different people are missing different pieces of the puzzle, right? And so what worked for me isn't going to work for everybody else. I had to figure out how to formalize this into a structure that works for everybody, mm. you know, regardless of your interests or which asset classes you choose to work with or whatever. And so it took me a while to figure it all out. But eventually I broke it down to a seven-step process. And now I'm putting that all into product form. And then that'll be a scalable business. You know, so because it won't emphasize my time for money hours, but the coaching was necessary for me to figure it all out. I mean, that's why this is a valid process is the unique thing about the way I teach Davis is I was in the trenches with people for two decades, you know, just working through the stuff, figuring out the system. Um, it's not like I just came up with these ideas or something. It's been proven out in the trenches to work. And so now it's just being formalized into a product series. Mm -hmm. Right. So then how did that journey come about where you managed to retire at 35? It was, a, it was planned. It's exactly as I teach it. I had a game plan, right? I came out of college and I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I had to work my way through college. I came out of school in debt. Um, I was a pauper all the way through college. Like while my friends were heading off to Europe or Alaska for the summer vacation, I would work all summer. You know, while the kids were going down to the bar, I didn't have enough money to go pay for drinks, you know? So, you know, I struggled all the way through college. And so I was really clear. I did not want to struggle in life. I was very determined to have financial independence. And so I figured out how to do it and I mapped a path and I developed it. And part of that was the hedge fund business. The uh, insight there was as long as I'm going to have to, I have to learn how to compound wealth. I may as well get paid to learn how to do it. Mm. And hedge funds is where it's where it's understood how to do. And so I went straight to the top of the heap, which is the hedge fund business. And my job was to develop um, statistical and mathematical trading systems. And so I figured it out right from the get go. Um, and it was all part of a plan, just as I that's part of what I teach is step three of the seven steps to seven figures is it all starts with a plan. You have to have a plan that's built around your interests, skills, resources and abilities because otherwise it won't work, you know? And so that's the step three of the seven steps, seven figures. And it's actually the starting point because without a plan, you have no way to contextualize all your decisions, how you allocate your scarce resources of time and money. No, nothing has a context for a decision until you have your plan. Your plan is what allows everything to happen very efficiently. And that's why I could do it in 12 years. I had a plan, it happened efficiently. So tell me very quickly, what would you describe a hedge fund as being to somebody who's a layman and they've never heard of it before? Well, the, the distinction of a hedge fund versus what most people are more familiar with, which is a mutual fund, is it's skill-based. The return is a function of skill. So for a mutual fund, it's you know your return is a function of what the market gives, right? So if the market's up, most mutual funds are up. If the market's down, most mutual funds are down. Um, you're basically, when you're in a mutual fund, you've diversified your what's known as um, unsystematic risk, which is stock-specific risk, sector risk, and then you've uh, let you're left with market risk, and that's why when the market goes up, you go up; when the market goes down, you go down. With a hedge fund, it's different. A hedge fund uh, is has skill-based strategies, and so in theory, with hedge funds, you can make money in any market condition. Now, in fact, the term has been mutated over the years, um, where now there's specific styles of hedge funds, but originally that was the the premise, right, is you could hedge out market risk. You could make money in any market condition. They were hedge. Now there's in the world of hedge funds, which is just kind of this loosely used term, there's things like global macro and long short equity market neutral and 
uh, event risk and all these different types of strategies that are being employed as specific hedge funds. Mm. But originally it was just about skill-based investing and return is a function of skill, not just a function of market returns. Okay. That's great. Way to explain it. So what happened in the 12 years, Todd? What do you mean? So you were in that hedge fund. You, you started, you, you, you just working. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. So I started originally, I started on the marketing side, right? I was just a zitty face kid out of college. And, um, the guy that was running it already had it up and running. Um, and I was going to be working for him. And so originally I was going to be on the marketing side. So I went around and met with company presidents and vice presidents of, uh, what we'll call medium sized retirement plans. They were, too big to manage on their own. And they were not so big that they attracted the big name money managers. Mm. And so I would go around and we had a strategy for soliciting them and start building it. And then what we quickly realized though, is one day I was in the main office and I was looking at the accounting and I just looked at it and I have this unusual gift for both numbers and systems. And I just looked at his spreadsheets and I said, well, you know, those are wrong. And his jaw just dropped, right? And I could just look at him and see it. And I said, you know, those are wrong, right? And and he had, he had in order to build those, he had locked himself away for three months. And this is back in the days of Lotus Symphony, right? This is before Excel. Um, this is back in the days of Lotus Symphony. He'd locked himself away for three months trying to build this thing, trying to get it right. And I said, well, it's not going to work, you know, because there's all kinds of complexity in a hedge fund. Because like if you're using futures, futures uh, are marked to market, but there's no actual debit or credit until the contract is terminated. You know, it's this fancy accounting terminology, but basically mm. you, you can't throw stuff together on spreadsheets just wanton. There's really specific rules around how this stuff has to work together. And then you've got the complexity of tax law on top of that, right? And he he looks at me and he goes, well, do you think you can fix it? I said, oh, I think so, but... I don't know, you know, and he said, well, go ahead and try. And so I had never even worked with Lotus Symphony at the time. So I grabbed a Lotus Symphony book and a week later I returned with new spreadsheets and we actually kept the, the again, this is going to date me, right? We kept these old IBM machines just to run the accounting software. And we kept the old Lotus Symphony software, just run it. They were so accurate we were audited by one of the, back then they were called the big 10. Now I think it's like the big five or big four. It was Cooper's big and Libran. Yeah, big four. Yeah. Whatever it is now, back then they were like the big 10 or big eight or whatever it was. Yeah. One of those, that was our auditing firm and they would come in. I was the first audit on the first week of January and they would use my books to find the errors in their systems. Cause my books were so accurate using the spreadsheets I designed and created. They never once found one error. I, my, my books were accurate to 10 decimal places. So literally it was like a clerical process for them. And because I designed it, I had, it was all done with macros where it would post from the book side to the, um, to the tax side. Mm -hmm. I had these macros that processed everything and did it all and spread it out between the clients. And I had all these processes designed and it was so accurate that we just couldn't even get rid of the computers or the software, even though everything updated and changed. We just kept around these boat anchor antiquated, <laughs> you know, pieces just to run the software because that's how much we valued our accounting. And I, I created it all in one week. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then we did another, so I'm a little off track here, but then we did another experiment where, 
um, I started developing trading systems, right? Because again, I've got a systems brain. It's just naturally, it's like my gift. Everybody's got their superpower. Mine is I've got a really strong engineering mind mm -hmm. and I can really break things down. Like you heard me break down hedge funds versus mutual funds. I really break things down into understand ways. So I take complex financial topics and make them simple. That's what I'm known for. Well, and similarly, I, you know, when we went to develop the mathematical and statistical trading systems, I just see what he's doing. I says, well, I think it would work better this way. He says, well, you think so? Go ahead and try. So I'd do it and it would work, right? And then we started having me trade side by side with him and I out-traded him. And so, you know, hats off to him. He He's an accomplished salesperson, very experienced, very knowledgeable. He says, well, we're doing this all wrong. And he put me in the back office, had me run all the money, had me run everything. And he went out and started selling. And that's when we took off, mm. right? Because he was gray haired. He was older. He was respectable. You know, he could, he could talk, he, you know, so it was so much smarter for him to go out. Once, once he went out and did the selling, we put me in the back office, everything worked. And that's when we took off. And pretty soon we were sold out because back then you had a limit of a hundred accredited investors. Right. And so we could only take a hundred investors. So we picked and choosed them and sold out and had a great business. So that took 12 years to get to that point And then you were out. No, 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 no. It took, um, a lot less years than that to get to that point. And then we milked it for several years and then being stupid human beings, we got bored of ourselves and then got out, even though it was an amazing business. <laughs> and you were a partner by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, that, yeah, I kind of skipped over that. At some point, I was made a partner in the firm. Uh, the recognition was I was integral to the firm. I basically worked myself to partner status just through my contributions to the firm. Mm, right. And what was the exit like for you? Did you just then go and sit at the beach or did you keep doing some other businesses? I tried that. You know, I, I mean, I, I thought that was what it was all about, right? I call it the millionaire myth. I mean, everybody makes that mistake. When you're working really hard, you think that I – ca I call it the pro-leisure circuit. You think the pro-leisure circuit is happiness where – you know, you wake up and each day is about finding your, per, you know, your little personal pile of joy that day. And, you know, y your focus is how do you entertain yourself? And it's really fun for a little while. But, you know, it's it's not some big secret. Retirees get really bored after about six months and everybody thinks, oh, go ahead and give me a try. But it really is true, right? Your mind gets bored after a few months. And so I, I did the same thing, right? I, I sold the business, was high as a kite to accomplish my goals, um, by 35, you know, I was a success in everybody's terms and, you know, but then pretty soon things started to come unwound. I mean, I, I would look in the mirror and I still had the same problems and I still had, you know, the same personal issues looking in the mirror that I did before I was rich. And, um, and then pretty soon, uh, the bloom was off the rose on what it meant to just, you know, mountain bike and ski and go travel and play fun and, and do these things each day. Pretty soon it was like, well, kind of been there done that with that what else am i going to do uh humans the humans are complex uh, creatures we what is fulfillment for a human varies with each person but there's certain principles that apply across the board you know one of them's you know creative it's hard to put words on but it's basically something that's you know when you're creatively when you're creatively producing in alignment with your values mm. fulfillment tends to follow it doesn't mean you have to make money it doesn't but but you have to be Creatively produce, and then there's also a component of it around community and contribution. There's pieces that we need to be fulfilled, and it's I've noticed it's a universal thing among all my clients. I, I and I've seen it also. My kids go to a private school, or they did, and so there's a lot of wealthy families. So I've seen a lot of families mm -hmm. achieve financial independence, 
And I've seen it almost universally across them too. So I really feel it's a pervasive truth. It's not just Todd talking. Yeah. No, appreciate that. So essentially, you know, there's this striving at the beginning to say, right, I want to be a millionaire. I want to have this. I want to have this. And once you have it, it's a common, common feedback point where people are like, well, I've got it, but I still feel like I haven't really achieved that, that thing. So, so how do you coach people now today to say, you know, how do you come up with a plan of what, what is that number or what is that place? And so you can, you can have that enjoyment through the process that, um, while you're building towards that plan. Yeah, there's actually layers to that question. So let's start with one layer and then hopefully you can remind me of some of the other layers. Cause again, I'm 55, so I can forget these things, uh, right? So anyway, the, the first layer is, um, well, here, I already forgot it. What's the first layer? Um, Coming up with a plan, I guess. No, it, boy, I totally spaced on it. I totally had it in my head when you asked me the question. I'm sorry, I lost it. <laughs> okay. Let, Ask me the question again. So um, there's the concept of striving towards me achieving one thing. And then once I get there, I feel like. Um, oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it. Yeah. And so it, there's going toward goals versus going away from goals. A lot of people, they want to achieve financial freedom because they're trying to get away from something. They don't want to work for the man you know, blah, 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 blah. They have things that they're going away from. If you're, if you're trying to achieve financial freedom because you're going away from something, it's probably not going to result in fulfillment. And so if I, I'm seeing that in the coaching process, I'll work with the client around their going toward goals. The other thing that I'll do, because when you're going towards something, it's much more fulfilling and it's much more driving. It, it comes back to a marketing concept that you're probably familiar with about where you have the differencing mind versus the connecting mind. Mm-hmm. They're they're kind of similar concepts. So anyway, that's a key point. And then the other thing is having a next step once you achieve the goal already planned. In other words, one of the worst things that happens with people when they achieve financial freedom, I know it's true for me and I've seen it with other people, is you look in the mirror and you're the same person. You don't have a clear next step. And you what happens is um, financial freedom, the pursuit of it becomes this interesting excuse for all the reasons why you're unhappy. Mm. right? You'd be happier if you had enough money. You'd be happier if you didn't have to go to work. You'd be happier if this, you'd be happier if that. What happens is when you get financial freedom, you're stripped of all those excuses and suddenly happiness is your responsibility. As a matter of fact, you're responsible for absolutely everything in your life at that point. You've lost your excuses. And for a lot of people, that responsibility is quite a burden. And so one of the keys is having a clear next step that you're excited about. And that, that connects to this going toward goal. That's why I said there was layers to this. That connects to that going toward goal. You want to have something you're going toward as you're headed to the goal, but then also you want to have a next step that you're really juiced to move on to when you get there. So you don't just get there and suddenly there's a vacuum in your life where you know work provides a lot of things for people they don't realize. It provides them with a community. It provides them with social connection. provides them with a sense of purpose. The other thing it does is it gives you clear definition to your daily life, right? I mean, you wake up five days a week and go to work. It's most of your, most of your hours are spent at work. You know exactly what you're doing, where you're going. Your life is planned out. When you achieve financial freedom, all that's gone. And it's suddenly this vacuum, right? And you enter this vacuum. And if you don't have, if you haven't already thought of clear next steps that you're juiced about, that vacuum can be absolutely destructive. Mm. That's, um, that's very good advice. Um, so let's step back a little bit and I just want to get a bit of, uh, bit of coaching from you in terms of your seven steps and, um, and how, how you would um, you know, explain those in a, 
in a nutshell for somebody listening here and say, right, I'm in a job, I kind of love my job, but maybe I've got some other passions outside of my job or, or I'm actually in my own business now, but it's, take, it's draining me um, and I'm not really getting to, to a financial position that is, that is good for me. So how do we start, you know, that basic financial plan, the habits of the wealthy Take us through some of those um, very briefly. Sure. So there's seven steps. Obviously, it's what's called seven steps, seven figures. And they're paired in terms of a personal and a financial step. So the first one's the foundation, which is step one and step two. And so you have your personal foundation and your financial foundation. So step one is the financial foundation. And really, that's all the basic financial planning. It's most of the stuff you can get for free on the internet. Like when I build that, I'm probably just going to give it away for free, right? It's all the stuff around, you know... Uh, spend less than you earn so that you result in savings, um, plan for getting your first home, proper insurance, um, just all the basics around financial planning. Okay. So that goes into step one. That's your foundation for on the financial side. Then that's paired with the personal foundation, which is step, step two. That's a little less common. That's about the habitudes that result in wealth. And so, you know, habitudes is an um, amalgamation of habits and attitudes. They work together since one drives the other and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so what I found in coaching, I used to accept get out of debt clients. I don't anymore. I strictly focus on uh, clients who want to build wealth. But I used to accept get out of debt clients. And I had an interesting contrasting experience where I'd, you know, like I'd be working with one client on getting out of debt. Then I'd work with another client around how to build wealth. Then I'd work with another client on getting out of debt. And one day it just struck me. I went, my gosh, they're diametrically opposite clients. And I'd never noticed it before, but the habits and the attitudes of the clients in debt that were having problems with debt were diametrically opposite the habits and attitudes of the clients that were already building wealth. And so that's where this habitudes of the wealthy came in is that observation. And then I just formalized it into a course. And so you'd go through and each day you would develop a new habit or not each day because that would be too intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you develop new habits regularly one by one and you compound them until you've developed new habits and practices that will automatically and incrementally take you toward wealth. What's a key habit that you, that you think is, is pivotal uh, that you can share? Well, right off the top, self-responsibility, right? People who are in debt, it's always somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in debt because of this, they're in debt because of that medical bill, they're in debt because they got sick, they're in debt because the guy collected their car, they're in debt because blah, 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 blah. Um, whereas the person that's self-responsible will look at it and go, wow, I overspent here, I need to figure out how to correct that. Um, there's When you come from self-responsibility, it's not always accurate, right? Because bad things do happen to us, right? There's sometimes when we are legitimately victims. Victim is the opposite of self-responsible, by the way. Um, there's sometimes when we're legitimately victims, but it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter in terms of if you want to achieve goals, if you want to grow and you want to get what you want out of life, then self-responsibility is the only productive place to come from because that's the only place where learning comes from. And learning is how you compound and grow your internal um, beingness just like you grow your wealth because as it turns out, one is a mirror reflection of the other. Um, That's one of the reasons I love working with people building wealth is they're just fun people to work with. you know, contrary to what a lot of people think, a lot of people think, you know, oh, it's easier to you know, wealthy people are just, you know, like we have this image of a big fat guy with a cigar sitting at a desk. Right. And, you know, that's like the cliche. The opposite is true. People who achieve wealth, they're usually high achievers in most areas of their lives. And they're quite fascinating people to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that was one example. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want me to keep going? No. So tell me basic financial planning. You come up with seven figures. Why seven figures? I guess that's the ultimate plan. Is that right? 
Well, no, no, that goes to the millionaire myth, right? Seven figures is $1 million, mm. right? So that just plays to the archetypal belief about what is wealth, mm. which is if I just got to a million dollars, then I'd be fine. Okay, I'm with you. And so it's okay. seven steps to seven figures. I have seven steps to achieve wealth and seven figures is just a kind of clever, catchy marketing yeah. angle on it, right? But it's really about achieving financial freedom. I could have said seven steps to financial freedom, but it's not nearly as catchy. Yeah, got it. So it's a marketing thing and it and it, it, it attracts people into to understand um, what you're saying because that's what we understand as people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so, so, then, we, so then you go to step three, which is um, how to design, literally design your life so financial independence is the result. Mm. And it goes through and it, it matches up the characteristics of the three asset classes that you build wealth with, which is uh, paper assets, you know, traditional stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, paper assets, and business entrepreneurship and real estate, direct ownership of real estate, matches the characteristics of the investments to the resources and interests and skills you bring to the equation, integrates it all into a plan and engineers it with math and calculations and everything. So you know exactly what you're doing, when and how, and it just really formalizes it so you move there very efficiently. Um, again, it's the starting point that I would do with every single coaching client. And I never even knew it was special, right? I did it for my own life. Seemed common sense to me that that's how you would do it, right? You develop a plan and you'd execute the plan. And then um, I took a marketing class years ago and part of the marketing class was go interview your past clients, what they valued. And they universally, they came back to me and said, oh my gosh, that wealth plan was amazing. I've shown so many people my wealth plan and nobody's ever seen anything like it. Nobody's ever heard of anything like this, you know, and I'm still implementing it to this day and still getting value. It'd be like years after I worked with a client. Mm. So anyway, that's step three. And then step four is now you have your wealth plan. So again, it's the financial and personal, right? So the financial side, you develop the wealth plan. Well, what do you have to do once you get a wealth plan? You have to implement it. You have to take a lot of action, right? Because a plan without action is worthless. And so what step four does is the personal side of that. And it says, how do you take massive action? And so there's several modules in there that teach very specific steps around how you overcome your personal obstacles, how you structure your life to create massive action, how you produce great results. And so that's step four. And then step five is expectancy investing. And that's probably the course that's in most demand from me. Mm -hmm. um, that'll be the next course I build out. That stems from my hedge fund days where I developed a completely different approach. And it's not new. There are no secrets out there, right? Yeah. But it's, it's just not common wisdom. And it's not how conventional financial advice practices, paper assets, produces uh, higher results and more consistent results. Um, and so I'll teach that. And then... Um, and step six and step seven are once you've attained financial independence, um, some stuff changes. And so step six is about um, investment strategies that are relevant because once you achieve financial independence, you start shifting things from asset growth to income. And you want to what I call take a knee, right? It comes from football where people take a knee on a fair catch so that they don't get slaughtered by the defenders and fumble the ball. Right. And so it's the same thing in investing. Once you achieve wealth, the desire is to kind of take a knee. And so how do you rework your investment plans and convert them to income and just enjoy the rest of your life? And there's very, very different investment strategies for that as opposed to investment strategies around focus on building wealth and achieving freedom. And so that's step six, and it's kind of specialized instruction. And then step seven is the personal side of that, which is now that I'm a millionaire, so what? 
Um, and the idea goes back to the millionaire myth that we were just talking about, which is nobody really wants more money. What they want is what they think money will give them, right? Which is freedom. And so then the question becomes, well, do you really need money to live free? And so step seven is all about personal freedom, how you live with freedom, how you lead a fulfilling life now that you're a millionaire. And it's the, it's the piece I'm walking the talk on to this day. So I've lived through steps one through six. I've walked the talk. Step seven is the one I'm still walking the talk on. And I think actually what's funny, Davis, is I'm probably going to turn that one into a membership site because what I'm realizing is nobody ever truly achieves that goal unless you're the Dalai Lama or the Buddha, right? Mm. Um, and so I think it's more of an ongoing process. At least that's how I'm experiencing it. Like all the rest of the steps I could accomplish. I could set out, I could put together a plan, I could figure it out, and I can accomplish it. And then I can teach it now because I can show others how to do it. Step seven kind of sits in the back wings because I've never accomplished it yet. And so I think it's going to be an ongoing process, which will lend itself rather than a course, it'll be a membership site. Mm. When people ask you, what is financial freedom? How do you define that? Cash flow exceeds expenses. Cash flow exceeds expenses. Yeah. So passive cash flow, right? So cash flow from businesses and investments that don't require your time, right? So passive cash flow exceeds expenses. So passive, which means there's a little bit of perpetuity implied in it as well, right? Yeah. So like you could own an apartment building that pays you more than, you know, net of all the expenses and mortgage and whatever, it pays you more than it costs to live, you know? So you could have that. You could have a big pile of dividend paying stocks and you live off the dividends. You could have a large bond portfolio. You could have a mixed portfolio and the income from the portfolio pays your bills. Or, you know, I've seen it where people have businesses, but they structure the business to where it doesn't require their work effort. They slowly extract themselves from the business um, so that it's not requiring their time and yet it still produces income to them. So that's another angle. So you can do it with any of the asset categories. Again, it just depended upon your situation, what you bring to the equation. Yeah. You had a question when you set out, to, um, I think you said, how can I help ordinary people achieve extraordinary financial results or some, somewhere there, I probably butchered it, but give me an example. No, you did, you did good. That was it. <laughs> give me an example of of a story that maybe has surprised you of somebody who maybe we might look at and say this this person was ordinary and maybe since working with you over a number of years you've seen um, them get to that point where they feel like um, you know their lifestyle has changed. Yeah, I had I'll go through a couple. I had a client that just left me for all the right reasons. Um, they accomplished their goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the client came to me, had a large net worth but no cash flow, um, had a high paying job but no freedom. And so within two years, I taught them the expectancy investing principles. They liquidated certain real estate holdings and replaced them with other real estate holdings, reallocated their portfolio. Um, Let's see, next month, actually, they will be out the door in February and traveling the world for two years. So that was in about two years that client achieved all that. Mm -hmm. I had another client. She's been with me quite a few years. She came to me um, back my client profile was different back then, but she was a uh, freelancer and I've worked with her for years and she's accomplished several goals. She wanted to be married. Um, she's now married um, and she wants financial freedom and she's getting darn close. She's not there yet, um, but she's come a long, long, long ways. Her income has grown. Well, let me put it this way. Her accountant one time looked at how much she was paying me. Cause again, coaching is not cheap. She's, she's grandfathered at the old rate. So for her, it's actually pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. And, um, the accountant looked at it and said, well, you know, what's this expense? You should get rid of this expense. This guy's expensive. And then like 
Two sentences later, he said, wow, your income is up dramatically this year. You're making way more money than you did last year. <laughs> and he never connected the two, right? And so she she told me that story and just laughed because she knows where it, where, how, how it all came together. She's multiplied her income dramatically. She's harvesting it into various asset strategies, both paper and real estate. Right. And she's well on her way, but she's not there yet. She hasn't gotten the goal yet, but she's achieved other goals as well. Okay, so if somebody's sitting there listening, do you, do you, do you think um, somebody who's just on a, a standard job, I don't know, maybe making $80,000 a year, they've got a mortgage, they've got a car repayment, how do they extract themselves out of that mundane kind of, um, maybe they're not, they're not even saving much, but they're trying to get to this place uh, and through, you know, paper assets, real estate business, can they stay in a normal job and still achieve this? And have you seen that? I'm sure you have, but is there an accelerated path that you coach on? Yeah, I call it the advanced planning framework, and it involves um, business entrepreneurship and direct ownership of real estate. If you use traditional paper assets, traditional paper assets are really a wealth parking vehicle, and that's because there's strict mathematical limits to the growth of the portfolio. Um, and again, this is probably beyond the scope of this podcast, but it's all provable. It's all math. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, the way it's commonly taught is fine, but really, if you look at the way it's commonly taught, you have to essentially build your wealth in your career and then just park residual wealth over on the paper asset side and just hope it compounds faster than inflation to give you some value added. And that's how most people are playing the game. If you want an accelerated path, you have to uh, go to what I call the advanced planning framework, which again, I teach that in the step three course. It's module five in the step three course. And the reason it's the advanced planning framework is you build wealth directly inside of your plan. See, the unique thing about paper assets is you're building your wealth in your career and then you're translating it after expenses and taxes over to the saving side where then it has to grow net of taxes again, mm-hmm. right? And so it's just an incredibly inefficient process. Whereas in the advanced planning framework, you're building the wealth directly inside the plan. There's huge tax advantages. There's huge leverage potential inside. And again, this isn't just me making this up. You can look at the data on how the rich get that way. And you'll see that if you look, if you get two categories of wealth, which we'll call extraordinary wealth, which we'll call, you know, in excess of 10 million. And then, and that's not really extraordinary wealth, but we're just going to call it that. And then we'll do what's ordinary wealth, which is financial freedom for most people, which is, you know, 10 million or less, right? Even in the ordinary wealth category, the vast preponderance of it comes from real estate and business entrepreneurship. But you do see paper asset accumulation, you know, the traditional financial planning approach work in that category. But it's usually at the end of life. The people that achieve it, they basically gave away an entire lifetime to get there. Right. So they exchange their lifetime to get freedom at the end when they're too old to enjoy it. It's, it's so with the and then when you look at extraordinary wealth, there's only one person that's ever achieved extraordinary wealth uh, using passive paper assets. And that's a kind of an interesting story in itself. He was the inheritor of millions um, and then turned around and just had had the luck of investing a big chunk of it with Warren Buffett at the early period of Berkshire Hathaway, mm. you know, arguably one of the world's greatest investor. And so it's probably not repeatable (laughs) to inherit millions and then invest it with the world's greatest investor. Other than that, it's all business entrepreneurship and then some real estate. And so, um, but mostly business entrepreneurship. So again, the advanced planning framework, if you're struggling, you have difficulty saving, 
um, the traditional plan isn't working for you, then you pretty much have to look at the advanced planning framework, mm. which again, I teach in the step three course. So, so if I'm listening to your story, I mean, your story sounds like it was a 12 year career in an employment situation, but it was really a business situation, wasn't it? Ah, very insightful of you. Yes. Um, so mine was a combination of paper assets. I did build wealth in paper assets, but if you look, what I did was I built a lucrative career. So I made a whole lot of money for a young kid and then I never really raised my spending. I've never been a big spender. You know, I've always had the philosophy. Happiness comes from experiences, not stuff. Now, granted as a kid, I did do some blunders. Like I bought a boat, you know, and then I had it for like two years and went, well, this is stupid. Why do I have this boat? It's not bringing me any joy. Um, so I, I played around with material possessions and I have a nice life. I don't live like a pauper or anything. I lead a nice middle-class life, but I don't, you know, like I said, you wouldn't recognize me from any ordinary person, right? I don't run around in Lamborghinis or any nonsense. Um, but I have a nice house, nice cars, you know, wear decent clothes. It's, but it's all very casual. And so I did that. I always kept my spending down to a college lifestyle, but I raised my income up dramatically. And so I ended up saving, you know, 70% plus of my income, which I then rolled over the paper asset category. And then I had my hedge fund strategies to multiply them. And so that's how I did it. And, and because you were heading up or well, you were part of the partnership there, so you, you, you had um, the ability to exponentially grow your income in a given year based on returns and things like that. Whereas a normal job, you might get a bonus of 10 or 15%, which kind of limits your, your ability to, to get a increased income regardless of how much extra effort you're putting in, right? Yeah, but just, just so listeners don't take this wrong, that was always my plan. In other words, when I started, I started on draw with that company and my intent was always to become a partner. And I, you know, I gave blood in the early years and made way less than my peers in college in order to get an equity position in the company. So it was a plan. It wasn't just luck where I just sort of stumbled into it. I knew that trading time for money was basically a road to nowhere. Mm. And so I had a plan and it was built around you know, I teach in the step three course, I teach that the game, if you want to build wealth, is about growing cash flow, producing equity. And everything, every part of your plan must be designed to produce cash flow, producing equity. Now, that's more than just a cute saying, because it literally determines what strategies are valid and which ones are not. Yeah, interesting you say it was all part of the plan. I always coach people now who are going into my field, which is accounting. And I say, well, if you want to be a full-time accountant and work for yourself, I would go for a middle-sized accounting firm where it's very easy to get to, to partnership and then and then grow yourself from there because I've worked in the big four and it's more political to get to the top um, and then become like a business owner essentially within the firm. So so it's interesting that you essentially took kind of that, that path. Um, I know we, we're kind of coming out to, to the top of the hour here. So I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions, Todd, before we wrap this up. Um, You've written a couple of courses, a couple of books. Um, what's the best two books that you've read that you think are great reads for entrepreneurs? Ooh. Well, one book I recommend often is Essentialism by McKeown, I guess is how you pronounce his name, or McKeown. I like that book because in our world today, there's no shortage of opportunities. There's no shortage of information. There's so much of everything that understanding what is the essential task that you need to focus on is probably more important than than more better different. I think people are naturally inclined to work towards more better different. And we're constantly striving towards more better different. And I think if you just focus on less, but the most important things, uh, you accomplish more. Mm. And so that's probably one book I could throw out. Now, have you written any books yourself that are currently in the market? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've got five books. I, I'm sorry. Maybe you gave me a layup and I was supposed to plug my own books. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think my, my best book, and you, you can see it even in the Amazon ratings and how many reviews and how it sells, would be the How Much Money Do I Need to Retire? Um, that book completely recreates how retirement planning is viewed. And it's based on the latest research. And it's, you know, it's still current. I wrote it in 2012. It was ahead of its time then. And it's still current to this day. And that book just really, it, it takes all the traditional financial planning approach and turns it on its head and says it's nonsense and this is how you do it. So that that's an important read for anybody that cares about financial freedom. Mm. What has that book done for you? Uh, if we talk about books just for a quick second, has that helped um, create any sort of income stream or more financial and more authority and positioning? Both, yeah. So it's an income stream. It's a completely passive income stream. Once you transfer it to Amazon and, you know, I mean, in theory, I should be promoting it more. It, it's been an experiment for me. Initially, I promoted it and it got up into like the top two for retirement planning and retirement on Amazon. Um, and it was making a decent little income. I mean, it was... If you figure the discounted present value of the income stream, it was a half million dollar asset, that little book. And then I've just sort of let it sit there and languish because I did a, uh, I got focused on a site audit that I ran for about a year and a half that distracted me, but it was well worth it. The site has grown 5X through the process of doing that. That's like a whole conversation itself in terms of traffic. Um, And that aligned the site with the latest practices over at Google and all these other things. And then I also, I'm building out the courses. I've been at that for a year now and I'll be at it for years more. So the books have kind of languished and I've observed them and the sales have dropped off and the rankings have dropped off, but they still do quite well. So, and it's completely passive. So it's been an interesting process being a book publisher and just seeing a book author and seeing um, how they do over time. Uh, If I gave them more promotion, I think they'd do a heck of a lot better. Um, but I just, I've been focused elsewhere. There's only so much time. Mm. What's the best way for people to connect with you? And, uh, what's a course that, what's your flagship course that you would recommend for somebody who's hearing you today? Yeah. The way to connect with me is the, my main website, which is financialmentor.com. That's the hub for everything. So if you want to find social media accounts or anything, it's all there, which is financialmentor.com. And while I'm going to have seven courses eventually, only one's publicly available right now, which is the step three wealth planning course we talked about a couple times here. Um, that course is available and I'm going to be raising the price on it in the foreseeable future here because um, it's it's getting closer to built out. I've had a special what I call founder's price on it. So, you know, if people want to take the course from me, that's available right now. And then also I give away a free book and a free course to people that become subscribers. That's the best way to t- stay in touch with me is get on the newsletter list. I only publish once in a while. Um, I'm not in the school where you're supposed to publish every week or, you know, every day or any of that nonsense. I only publish when I've got something really epic and valuable to share. Um, I'm known for putting together almost like book length articles. They're complete examinations of specific topics. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of known for that long form detailed content. So anyway, you won't hear from me all the time, but you will hear from me occasionally. It'll be valuable stuff and you'll get a free course, 52 weeks to financial freedom. It'll outline in 52 weeks. You won't get rich in 52 weeks, but it'll outline the entire wealth building process in a 52 week email series. Yeah. And that's free. And that's free by the way. Fantastic. Now, before we started the show, we talked about your site and your traffic and how you're using part of the podcast to, to, to validate what people are looking for in terms of your voice and authority positioning. But we've kind of run out of time. But uh, 
but maybe we'll touch on that in a, in another episode or, or when we get another chance to have a chat. But I uh, really enjoyed our conversation today. I think you've really touched on a lot of interesting points there for us to all go back and, and check and grab one or two of your courses. So I really encourage everybody listening in the Business Journal's family to go out and check out Todd's stuff. Todd, I um, really appreciate your time. Before I ask my last question, I really want to acknowledge you for all the things that you're doing in the marketplace, all the lives that you've, you've changed and the, all the people you've helped transition their minds from being in debt um, to now being uh, able to w- build wealth. I think that's really important. And um, for the last question, I really wanted to ask you, um, what does legacy mean for you? And do you ever think about that? And what would you love to be remembered for? And tell us why. That's uh, an interesting question because that's why we left the hedge fund business. You know, I the most lucrative thing I could have done if it was all about you know, how much money you can make or how wealthy you can become. I should have stayed in the hedge fund business. That's where I would have made the most money. Um, you know, building financial mentors has been a struggle and it certainly hasn't been the most lucrative enterprise I could have entered. Um, but it is the most rewarding legacy, legacy. Um, God, I just knew when I left the hedge fund business, I didn't want to be known for making my rich clients a little bit richer. Mm. That was basically where I was heading. And I knew that was my, going to be my legacy. That's why I left it. I'm not clear on it, Davis. I'm sorry. You kind of stumped me with that question. I guess I know what I don't want it to be, but I'm not clear what I want it to be. You know, kind of along the lines, it's going to be kind of vague or hokey because I'm just making it up as I go. But it's going to be along the lines of, you know, he was a good guy. And I, you know, he, he'd like, he made a serious contribution or like he really played full out. I'm kind of liking that kind of that idea that like he played full out and lived the adventure fully. Like he really went for it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's sitting with me. I don't have the right words on it because, again, I'm just fumbling through it. But that's kind of the vibe I want it to be is like he lived his life fully. He really played an adventurous full game in every dimension of life. That's amazing. I think that's, that's fantastic. I always um, talk about dying empty not leaving anything in the tank, which is not easy, but um, that's a goal. That's a, that's a noble goal. So, you know, living your life full out, that's amazing. So that brings us to the end of the show, Todd. I really appreciate you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging out with me and Todd here on the show. My prayer for you is that you can get out there and get your hopes up that you are good enough to live out your dreams. Head on over to businessgenerals.com. Check out all the show notes. I type in Todd in the search bar and his show notes will come up. To connect with Todd, find him at financialmentor.com and grab... Um, Grab one of his free courses and um, really check out what Todd is doing. I think um, you'll, be, you'll be really amazed. Um, Todd, thank you so much for being on the Business Generals podcast today, for sharing your story with us. We are absolutely grateful you are a true business general. All right. Thanks a lot. Hey, what's up, Business Generals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessgenerals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.